before we uh, get into this new episode here, I want to quickly thank our sponsor, uh, Shopify. Uh, if you want to build a store, you want to manage a business, or you want to grow your business, uh, go to Shopify. They have all the tools you need, whether it's trying to, as I said, grow your business, um, or even trying to see what you would need in order for your business uh, to really take that next step. Uh, you can visit them at shopify.com uh, and get all your tools there, speak with a representative, um, and keep your business moving. All right. Hey, everyone. Uh, we're coming back here to you. Uh, it's been a couple weeks since the last podcast, but really excited uh, to have here Henry McKetta, who uh, is very accomplished in the investment space. He owns his own uh, advisory firm. So you guys are really going to get a treat tonight with him. He's going to touch on everything, you know, in regards to the stock market, but also how you can build your own personal finance strategy. Um, and also, if you ever need anyone uh, to help you out, uh, you're going to get the top top of the of the business right now. So, um, Henry, nice to be here tonight with you. Um, why don't you introduce yourself to everyone and tell them a little bit about you? Sure. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on. It's great to be here. It's good to see you. Um, my name is Henry Makita and founder and president of Athos Capital Advisors. I'm based here in Los Angeles in West Hollywood. Um, I've really been interested in investing for a long time now. I bought my first stocks when I was 18. Um, I had made a little bit of money after high school coaching lacrosse and with some of that money, I bought my first stocks. I bought some Apple um, and I bought some Whole Foods at the time and really started to peak my interest. So I then went to college and um, ended up kind of all over the place. Um, took some classes in business and um, really gravitated towards global economics was lucky to, to take some classes on monetary policy um, and got to learn a lot about central banks, which are, you know, it turns out are one of the most important forces driving markets, probably the most important um, forces driving financial markets today. So um, after college, I did a master's degree in finance and have been really lucky along the way to have some incredible investment mentors and business mentors along the way. So I did a master's degree in finance, um, also at the University of Denver. And after graduating, uh, went to work for a firm in Denver called Monticello Associates, which advises endowments, foundations, and large family offices on how to invest their money. Um, really prestigious firm advising really amazing cultural institutions, universities, um, prominent families, and at the time had about $80 billion. And uh, what it was a incredible place to start my career and 
be even more immersed in finance in the world of investing um, because one, you're really, when you're working with big clients like that, you have access to the entire world of investments, hedge funds, private equity, venture capital, real estate, fixed income, all the best equity managers, you name it. And you also have clients who are in many ways the ideal client because you meet quarterly, you're not concerned about daily market gyrations. And in theory, you have the, these clients have an infinite time horizon. You know, they want to last in perpetuity, spend a little bit of money every year furthering their cause, whether it's scholarships or your museum or university. And you want to grow the assets over time indefinitely. So you're able to invest the best way. And my, in addition to Monticello and having that experience, a lot of what I do and a lot of my approach is grounded in the David Swenson Yale endowment investing model. So the, you know, what I do today is work with smaller investors, um, wealthy individuals, all the way down to younger people like you and me. And what my background has really, you know, my background starting at Monticello has really allowed me to do is see the entire spectrum, the entire investment universe, and really for endowments and foundations and the largest, most sophisticated investors, they are never picking individual stocks. Mm -hmm. They're never picking individual securities. They're creating an asset allocation plan, and then they are selecting investment managers. So at that level, it's really about one, creating an asset allocation, and then two, within the different asset classes, selecting the best investment managers. So it's an incredible learning place because you get to see and study and read all of the, you know, read about, read about all the great investors of history, meet with all the investor, great investors of today and my job really was to try and identify the best U.S. stock pickers. So my focus was really on, on U.S. equities. And every day I would go into the office and I would meet with a mutual fund manager, a hedge fund manager, and really got to see the full spectrum of investment strategies in the U.S. equity space, the stock, you know, stock market. So, and there are so many, you know, different strategies, yeah. so different approaches that people take. So it's, it's, uh, it's a great place to really study and to see what works and to, to craft a philosophy. So today, 
I am really, if you had to ask me what my main, the core tenets of my philosophy are, I would say number one is I'm always focused on creating the right asset allocation. I think everybody, that's, that's the starting point. You know, if you're young like you and me and you have a retirement portfolio and you have a 20, 30, 40 year time horizon, you should be in all equities. Mm-hmm. And regardless of where you think the market is, you should do no in and out movements of the market really. The best thing you can do is to be all equities and contribute as much as you can and dollar cost average. So Henry, are you saying then with that price doesn't really matter what the stock's at because you have such a long time horizon that, you know, the price today doesn't really matter for what it would be in three, four, five, six years from now. What I'm saying is, and when I say be all equities, I'm talking about being in the S&P 500. So going back to being studying investment managers, it's widely studied, it's widely known, and the numbers fluctuate. There's some cyclicality to this, but most, a lot of the time, only 20% of U.S. mutual funds beat the S&P 500. That's crazy. And you can, it really is. When you think about, it's a really big sample. It's a big group of people, professional money managers who their job is to beat the S&P 500. They're paid millions of dollars with the brightest minds, resources, research budgets, visiting company managements, you name it, they 80% don't beat the market. And why do you think that is? Why do you think, well, why do you think 80% can't beat the market when they have access, like you said, to unlimited resources, unlimited, you know, being able to actually meet management stuff, myself, most people, literally 99% of investors, retail, at least all retail investors can't do. It's not like we can go to Zoom's headquarters and say, hey, you know, what are you guys up to, you know, for this quarter? So well, why do you think that is? It's a hard game to play. You know, the, the market is, in a lot of ways, you know, large cap equities in the United States. It's a pretty efficient asset class, meaning, you know, and if you look across different asset classes have different levels of efficiency. Efficiency meaning everything that is known and could be known about a stock is in reflected in that current price. And thus it's very hard to find pricing discrepancies. So interestingly, the the small the small subset of managers who do beat the market, they're actually less concerned with pricing discrepancies than owning high quality compounding assets. So there are a lot of different strategies, schools of thought in investing. And 
everybody knows about value investing, which basically means you're going to try and sort through the universe of equities and pick out the ones where the price today is less than the intrinsic value of the business. You buy that stock at X, the value of the company is really Y. And over time, that gap narrows and you make that difference. It's a really hard game to play. And even if you, you know, thinking about Warren Buffett and how he has, his strategy has evolved over his career, he used to be firmly in that camp where he was trying to find cigar butts and would buy, didn't, you know, didn't care as much about the quality of the asset, but would buy securities that were priced at less than the intrinsic value of the business. And eventually they would re-rate and you would capture that difference, move on, do it again. That's a really hard game to play. And that's the game that most managers, U.S. equity managers play. The group that really stands out and has a much better chance of being in market and has done has just done a much better job over time is a small group of managers who are focused on owning the best assets that compound at high rates. So they're concerned about, and back to Warren Buffett, this is where he has gone. He talks about a lot these days. He is focused on owning great businesses at, at good prices. Prices is tremendously important, but if you own a business that is declining in value every year and buy it, you know, it's just hard to do that. You're much better off if you buy a high quality asset that is going to increase in value every year, try and buy it at a great price and then allow the business value to compound. So going back to what I do and what I really am focused on when investing for my clients, I am always hyper-focused on either investing in through investment managers who have that bias or investing in individual securities that have those characteristics and being very cognizant and disciplined about valuation. But honestly, being it's okay to to pay up a little bit for high quality. Now, one of the other things that this does that is so important and again is one of the core parts of our philosophy at Athos Capital is owning only high quality assets, compounders, a lot of people call these companies, and then only owning assets where if they go down in value, you can at the very least hold on, weather the storm and know that it's gonna rebound. Better yet, have the confidence in those tough times because markets go up, markets go down. 
And in those tough times, not only can you at least weather the storm, the worst thing you can do is own things where if they, when they go down and you have to realize a loss and, and it happens, but if you can try and avoid those situations and at least just hold on, you are setting yourself up for much more success. Better yet, if you can own assets where when they go down, you can become a buyer and take advantage of those, those periods of time as, and use them as to your advantage, that is how you can turn the dynamic on its head and really put yourself in a much better position. So that's, I would say owning high quality assets and owning assets that you can be confident of in and own and buy more of when they go down. Those are the two main tenants to my philosophy at Athos Capital. Now, going back to picking individual stocks, picking investment managers and passive investing, in my, my opinion, this is one of the most overlooked benefits of passive investing. Is, you know, if we just start from, from the, the facts that 80, from any, at any given point in time, 80 to, you know, 60, 50% of U.S. mutual funds are going to underperform the S&P 500. So if you have a very small chance of picking equities yourself or picking managers, then you should really be, you know, indexing in large cap equities. But I can't think of really any other asset classes that have more, you know, thinking about the S&P 500, what other asset out there can you have more confidence in and at least holding through the downturns and just having confidence that, that it's going to rebound eventually, you know, unless the world yeah. falls apart, you, U.S. You, business is going to rebound. You know, it's just, yeah, they're it's a resilient asset class there really isn't i mean you look at what happened in march when the equity market it, it cratered i believe what the s p 500 fell maybe down to 2300 around there you look yeah. at it now i mean before the last couple of days where the market's taking a little bit of a downturn it, it was at 3500 so you're really looking at a v-shaped recovery which goes back to your point that it's it's necessity you have to be able to hold for the long term and weather these storms going back to a point where you said that you want to own high quality assets and you want to buy more potentially if they go down at the very least you want to hold some i know and and obviously our listeners don't know this but um myself i know you're a very big proponent of a stock called fastly and fastly has been a great performer that i believe what you you bought them when they were in the teens and they were recently at 130 and they missed their revenue projections. I think by only a couple million dollars, it was 70 million compared to a $73 million estimate, but they got whacked by 30% almost. And they're back in the eighties. And so I feel like that's the sort of stock where 89, where it closed might not be the price you want to get in. If you're like a price picker, you might see it fall a little bit lower into the lower eighties, 
but it's a stock that you would want to potentially buy more of just because of the secular trends and where technology is going, that sort of thing. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, with a company like Fastly, it's been an incredible run and it's a, it's a really interesting story, but it does like we're talking about, it carries with it. You know, the problem with inv investing in individual equities is companies go away. Things happen that change the, the dynamic of the business and the company and there can be scandal and there can be so many things that can go wrong. There is a lot of risk to an individual stock. So the further you can get away from, you know, it, it's hard to have that same level of confidence in an individual equity that you can have in the S&P 500, for example, or even if you have a great mutual fund manager that, that you really have a lot of confidence in, you can, it's easier to have more confidence there. And when they underperform for a period of time or when the market goes down, it's quite a bit easier to, to double down there. Going back to Fastly, Fastly is in many ways, it's been a very, very inefficient stock. And if you think about it, you know, the Fastly was at 130 just the other day. Today it's now, it closed at 89. You're talking about $4 billion in value. So it's really interesting to see and to, to be really closely um, involved in this particular stock because these kinds of swings just don't make sense. And did, has the value of the company actually changed $4 billion in just the past two days? Probably not. Only Probably a, not. It's paper money right now. Paper money says it's falling $4 billion, but that's so I go back to the point where going to what you said, you want to own high quality stuff. I mean, this is when people make money. I mean, obviously I'm not like recommending you go out and rush out and buy something because I'm not a financial guy and then I follow stocks. But intuitively, when you're going through your head for $3 million, would I have, and obviously there's a lot of TikTok concerns with Fastly in the first place, which probably that $3 million was attributed to TikTok and the story with TikTok hasn't fully played out yet. So obviously there's a little uncertainty still there, but is $3 million of revenue really worth $4 billion in market cap? To me, that doesn't really add up. Yeah, it does. And the question is, you know, was it how maybe it was overvalued at 130 and we've now just kind of come back, you know, it's a, it's a thinly traded stock and it's had an incredible year. You know, talk about, you've kind of had two tailwinds for this company, for this stock this year. Back, you know, when I was buying a stock back in the 20s and below, it was valued at eight times forward sales. Today, it's valued at 30 or 40 times forward sales. So, you have a, a very dynamic, fast growing business that has benefited in a lot of ways from, that has just a lot of secular tailwinds. 
and is growing at a you know 50 to 60 percent rate so that alone carries the business value quite a bit you've also had that valuation expansion going from eight times sales to 30 or 40. 30 or 40 is pretty rich. So, you know, it's, it's important to be careful, but you know, it's a, it's still a, a really interesting company and, and one that I follow really closely. Well, for, for the newer investors out there, cause there are a lot of newer investors out there, um, people looking for advice. What, what do you kind of think is a good valuation for companies? Do valuations matter? I know it was eight times forward sales um, and it was trading recently 30 to 40 times forward sales. What would you look for in a company when you're assessing whether or not you should take a, take a swing on it? Totally depends. So, you know, Fastly and the companies in Fastly's space tend to be valued that way. And they tend to be valued a multiple of forward sales. And if you look at, you know, kind of the other companies in the space, you have a wide range, you know, Shopify, Zoom, they're both valued at a higher multiple. Um, and, you know, you have, you have other companies that are valued in, at a lower multiple you tend to get kind of 10 times all the way up to 40 or 50 times. So 40 or 50 times is, is pretty rich, but um, it all of course is related to the growth rate and the company specific dynamics. So, you know, that is for the cloud software space. Now looking at other parts of the market, you have different, you know, every, every, sector kind of has its own quirks and it has its own um, idiosyncrasies and how you value the assets. But part of what has happened this year is with the dramatic move lower in interest rates, you have seen valuations go up a lot and part of that is warranted you, you kind of have a number of different things that happen when when interest rates go down uh, one you've had a lot of cheap money become available so the borrowing costs for corporate america have gone down a lot so that's positive and you've also had a very important force in that as interest rates have gone so low and as the yield on the 10-year and the yield on fixed income has gone down so low, so much capital that needs to generate a return has to flow out of the, you, you can't put money in the bank and expect to get a return. So you then, you just have this movement across the, the, risk spectrum from money in the bank to money in fixed income to money kind of has to go into equities. And so you've really seen it 
flow into a number of different places. You know, high quality technology, places where there is growth have been big beneficiaries. And, and so you look at companies like Apple and Google and Microsoft, Facebook, they've all had great years. They've all, you know, if you have a company that's continued to grow revenue, grow earnings in this environment, that's also really attractive, but you also have valuations have gone up quite a bit. And part of it, a lot of it makes sense for this very reason. So you, you just have, you know, a lot of people talk about is there's no alternative. So money has had to flow into productive assets. And if you can get equities that are going to continue to grow and are going to continue companies that are going to continue to churn out dividends, grow dividends, grow cash flow, have buybacks, that's an attractive place to be. So I do think while it is uncomfortable to have so much valuation expansion, I do think a lot of it is warranted just due to the the broader macro environment and where interest rates are. And for the for the listeners out there, uh, Henry really broke it down. But what you can really know is I don't think a lot of people realize that cash loses money. You you technically are losing money when you take cash versus when you go on to a risk asset because of inflation. So I don't, I don't think people realize they're like, oh, I'm going to, that are kind of adverse to investing. You, you think, oh, I'm just going to store money under a mattress. You know, there's those people, or I'm going to have a savings account or a checking account and just keep money in the bank. You technically lose money doing that. And so I think that's why you're seeing a lot of activity in risk assets, which might lead to your point of valuations going to 40, 50 times for a lot of these tech names. Also one thing, and I want to get your take on this because obviously this has been huge in investing. You know, Robinhood has really taken over the market and to stocks like Fastly and Shopify, Tesla, stocks that I love. Um, I think you can attribute a lot of valuation problems to, really to Robinhood in essence, because you have a lot of these retail investors flooding into the market. Um, what, what do you think about Robinhood? Because it's obviously changed the way people have invested probably forever. Um, it's also, I know before at a certain point, it was beating a lot of those asset managers. You were talking about that were trailing the S and P 500. Um, so what do you think about Robinhood? Where do you think, uh, retail investing is going, but also what are some of the issues you see and why you would need, you know, an asset manager like yourself to really help guide you through some of these turbulent, uh, swings. Sure. Well, I think it's a really interesting phenomenon. It's something that I've been following closely and picked up pretty early on all of this back in March. Um, and it's been, like I say, a really interesting phenomenon because you've had, you know, as you had the lockdowns happen and as you had a lot of people lose their jobs and go work from home, you had so many more, whether it's on Robinhood or the traditional brokerage firms, all have seen huge spikes in users, accounts, 
and trading volume. And it's just been this really interesting phenomenon to watch um, as somebody who's been in the stock market for, you know, as my job for 10 years now, um, you just had, you've had a lot more speculative behavior. You've had a lot of, I think it's, it's made the market act in different ways. And so you get these huge swings, you know, how much it actually impacts the market and the market structure, I think is still, um, an unanswered question, because if you look at the total trading volume as percent of the total market, it's gone up, but is it enough to really move some things? It certainly seems so. Um, I think the other important thing that has happened though, is you have also with the low interest rates, combined with a very, uh, just a world with a very wide range of outcomes for companies, for sectors, for, for everybody. So you have had a lot of different, I think you've had a much less efficient market this year and you've seen it reflected in the performance by active managers. You have more, more mutual funds beating market now than you have the past several years. So that's interesting. I think the environment has, has created more opportunity for active management. So it's something that I'm doing a lot more of, to be honest, um, using mutual fund managers, doing some individual stock picking as well. The other thing that I think is, has really contributed to some of these, these different movements kind of along the same lines of there were just being very a very wide range of outcomes and so many things changing in the world and you've also had interest rates go to zero so much more speculative assets things like tesla um the rise in spacs um just the the rise in in companies that have that may have awesome prospects, but those prospects are far out in the future. Though that future is getting priced in more now than it has in the past, partly because interest rates are zero, and partly because there's so the just the wide range of outcomes, and also I think because you do have you have more retail participants in the market i think and like you said i think for as long as interest rates remain low you're going to see probably these actions in terms of you know one stock that came to mind was snowflake when you're talking about SPACs, when snowflake was supposed to ipo i think at like 120 dollars and when someone opens their computer on the day that they're supposed to trade they're already at like 240 i think they went up to three over 300 on that day and you're looking at your valuation, you were saying like Fastly 40 times forward sales. I think Snowflake was more expensive than Fastly at that point. And they had only traded for, you know, one day. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, at that point, you know, the question of valuation doesn't matter. But I think, you know, 
the cool part about Robin Hood, it has shown there are a lot of people that are really interested in investing in the stock market. And for yourself, that's a great thing. For for the market itself, it's a great thing because you're opening up more people to wanting to be a part of these companies and wanting to be a part of, you know, building up their assets and their wealth and that sort of thing. And so I really think, you know, we need more people like you out there. And obviously we're going to have you on, you know, a lot here, hopefully once a week, once every couple of weeks um, to really talk about how to navigate through these, you know, changes and having more people involved is only going to be good. You know, it's only a good thing. You don't want to have it so narrow where it's just hedge funds. You know, they, they decide, you know what, I'm going to give this company an increase today and let's take it up, you know? Yeah, no, I think it's great to have more people investing. You know, they're really investing in the U.S. stock market done the right way is one of the best ways to grow wealth over time. It takes time. And one of the misconceptions, you know, I think one of the misconceptions right now is that it's kind of the get rich quick scheme. It's really not. But if done the right way, you can generate satisfactory good returns and if you know again if you are contributing money and doing it the right way you can you can really build wealth over the long term so that's fantastic and it's also such a amazing field and it just in so many ways it it's really an intellectual pursuit that that can last a lifetime. And so, you know, as we continue to have the conversation and, and um, do different articles and whatnot, um, sharing a lot of different books and different reading, um, that to me is one of the, the great parts to investing is it's lifelong learning and whether it's learning about new companies, whether it's learning about more about politics and economics and different countries, there is always more to learn and there's so much to read. There's so much written about investing and the people involved and business. It's, it's really, to me, that's, that's really the most amazing part about being an investor is every day you get to wake up and learn new things every day. You know, it's just, it's, uh, it's really an exciting thing to be an investor. And it's amazing now that, you know, everybody, everybody can be an investor and should be an investor. It is. It is. You learn, like you said, Henry, you learn something new every day. You learn about valuations. You learn about what companies do, which is really cool. Like it's, it's one thing to say, you know, I'll just, you know, throw money here or whatnot. But when you really get to learn, what does Apple do? You know, what does Tesla do? What does Square do? What does Fastly do? It's very interesting. You, you really start to, you know, become enamored with the market and you really start to love it. And I think, you know, I I started learning how to invest more so in middle school because my dad was super interested in stock options and it's like, what, what is this? And so, I started learning and learning and then I started following companies and that's kind of what's gotten me interested in the stock market over time. So I definitely think what you said is dead on. Um, 
So we don't want to give everything away, Henry, in this episode. Like I said, we're going to have you on uh, once a week, hopefully. Um, and we're just going to keep talking like how the market fluctuates between now and then, and then definitely talk about international markets. There's a lot of different things people want to know. Um, what, what is it like to invest? Because you always hear like CNBC, what is it like to invest in you know, different countries because you want to diversify your income? So we're definitely going to be able to touch on a lot of these things in our next episode. Um, but before we go here, Henry, how can listeners, if they're interested, get in contact with you? Even if it's not to invest, but to just ask you more questions, how can they do that? Sure. So uh, I have a website. It's www.athoscapitaladvisors.com. Um, there you can find my contact information. Um, I do a lot of writing and um, put out different newsletters from time to time. So you can follow me there. Um, I also have an Instagram account, which is H Makita, M-I-K-E-T-A 35. And um, there I'm constantly, you know, sharing my different stories and different thoughts, different things I'm thinking about reading. And, and that's a good way to um, get in touch with me as well. Awesome, Henry. Well, we thank you here for your time uh the tonight obviously next week we don't know exactly the day we're going to have you on uh, but we will have you on we're going to talk a lot of different stuff so really looking forward to it i know our listeners are um and hopefully uh, we have a good time between now and next week in the stock market awesome thanks for having me critique no problem no problem henry you have a good night everyone thank you for listening uh we'll see you again next week